Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you for the scriptures that were just now read, and we pray for your help as we seek to understand, as we seek to internalize your truth, and more importantly, to live it out, to obey with faithfulness. And so, Holy Spirit, teach us and impress the word of God upon our hearts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we've been enduring over the past few months, all of this uh, separation and social distancing, I think many of us are coming to realize just how precious friendship can be. In normal times and in the busyness of our normal routines, it's very easy to take for granted our friends and to feel very little practical need for them. But when we've been isolated for so long, we quickly realize how having faithful friends in your life is a true godsend. Sometimes it does take a tragedy or an emergency or a historic global pandemic to remember just how much we need true friends. I'm talking about friends who are willing to brave a grocery run for you or even a a run to Costco for you. I'm talking about friends who are willing to check up on you when you're sick and send you encouraging text messages filled with scriptures and prayers or friends who use their gifts of cooking or baking or sewing masks and, and and they deliver something to you at your door or friends who rally together to raise the funds that you need to begin a life-saving cancer treatment all in a matter of days. I think it's amazing how in our church we have seen the power and the preciousness of friendship on display. As we continue in our study of Proverbs, we're going to be talking about friendship. The Bible actually has a lot to say about this subject, especially here in Proverbs. The main idea is that a true friend is a true blessing that you should never take for granted and never neglect to invest in. Friends are there to bear your burdens, to pick you up when you're down, to challenge you and to push you to be better and to be there for you when things go wrong. That's what friends are for. And you might be surprised at how often ancient writers like to talk about this subject. They love to talk about friendship. Obviously, we have here the wisdom of King Solomon in Proverbs. But outside of Scripture, probably the best-known ancient teaching on friendship would come from Aristotle. You see, for the Greek philosopher, he saw friendship as one of the highest ethical goods. Like many other ancient thinkers, he saw the relationship between two friends as more virtuous than the relationship between two lovers or even between parent and child. Now, in his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis uh, expands on this concept, and, and he addresses this high regard that the ancients had for friendship. And speaking into the purely naturalistic Darwinian worldview of his day, Lewis explains that friendship is so virtuous because it's so unnecessary. He says it has no survival value, meaning that you can survive and breed without friends. You see, you need romantic love if you expect to breed. And uh, you need affection or familial love if you expect to survive as a newborn. 
And you can observe these same kinds of loves and same kinds of relationships even in the animal kingdom. It's just what you need to survive. But friendship, friendship is what sets us apart from the animals. As humans, we give ourselves to friendship, even at great cost to ourselves, even though friendship has no survival value. The point is, is that friendship is not an animalistic instinct. No, friendship, our desire for friends, our ability to be a friend is part of the imago dei, the image of God that's imprinted on the human soul. And so when we experience friendship, when we give ourselves to another as a friend, we are actually reflecting God's image. For even within himself, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there is true friendship. That means it is a godlike virtue to be a friend. This is why Lewis said that even though friendship has no survival value, it gives value to survival. Without friends in our lives, we would just be living in animal existence. We would be merely surviving. But if you want to thrive, if you want to experience the fullness of what it means to be a creature made in the image of God, then you need to pursue and to value friendship in your life. But sadly, we live in a day and age where friendship has been trivialized to the extent that we don't even really know what it means anymore to have friends. I mean, we have hundreds to thousands of friends on Facebook, but what does that even mean anymore? How many true friends do we really have? So what I'd like to do this morning is to consider a few proverbs that offer us some ancient wisdom on friendship. And we're going to look at three characteristics of true friendship, which I hope is going to help you to detect how many true friends you really have in your life and how you can be a true friend to another. We're going to see that true friendship is characterized by three things, by commitment, by commonality, and by candor. So the first characteristic of true friendship that we're going to consider is commitment. True friends are committed to one another, loyal to each other. Through ups and downs, through thick and thin, they stick together. Listen again to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, this contrast is being made between companions and friends, or you could say fair-weather friends and true friends. And the point is that the loyalty of one true friend is of far greater worth than the company of many companions. How many stories, how many shows have tried to teach us this very lesson? Uh, typically, there's a young male or a young female protagonist who longs to be popular, so much so that, well, let's say this is a, a girl, she ends up neglecting her longtime friend as she ingratiates herself with all the popular kids. And as the story continues, she does win the acceptance of the popular crowd, and she considers herself happy until a problem arises, and she's about to come to ruin. And her fair-weather friends abandon her. But her one true friend shows up in the end and proves to be faithful. 
And of course, the lesson is that the value of one true friend far outweighs the company of a hundred companions. When problems arise, when trouble comes, when ruin is on the horizon, all you want and all you need is one true friend. Mere companions, they're simply unreliable. Listen to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19. Trusting in a treacherous man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. So think about it. When you've got a bad tooth, you can't bite down on it. It might look good when you smile. And so when things are going well, that means friendship. That friendship looks great. But when you really need that friend, when you really need that tooth to do its job, to, to bite down and chew, it's unreliable. It can't help you, just like fair weather friends. So listen to another ancient source of wisdom. This comes from the wisdom of Sirach. Now that's, in case you've never heard of it, it's a, it's a non-biblical book that's found in the Apocrypha. So it doesn't contain any inspired revelation, but it does have some good wisdom in it. So there's a proverb in this book that says this. There are friends who sit at your table, but they will not stand by you in times of trouble. That sounds a lot like Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. There are plenty of companions, plenty of fair weather friends who would gladly dine at your table and share in the benefits of your friendship. But when you really need them, when you need them in times of trouble, they are nowhere to be found. Now, that's a lesson that all of us really need to take to heart, but especially those of us who are drawn to the idea of being popular, of being in the center of the in crowd. Because you have to realize that's a fleeting goal. Even if you obtained that level of popularity, really, what good is it in the end to have many companions and a lot of of, of acquaintances, but no true friends. The wisdom of Proverbs tells you to take all that energy that you would have put into chasing after popularity and to redirect that energy toward investing in a few true friends. Verse 24 goes on to say that when looking for friends, we should look for a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's how you can identify a true friend because their loyalty runs thicker than blood, deeper than even family. You know, sure, you, know, you do know that family members are going to be there for you in times of trouble, but sometimes it's only because you're related. It's only because they, they can't, you know, deny or erase the fact that they're your parents or he's your brother, she's your sister. You know, that, that relation comes with, 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 a, with a degree of duty and obligation. So they'll be there for you because... They're family. They kind of have to. But a friend chooses to be there for you. A friend has no duty or binding obligation, no blood ties. And so that's why a true friend sticks closer than a brother, than any other family member. Think of Naomi and Ruth in the Bible. Ruth was her daughter-in-law, so they were family, but now Ruth is a widow. Naomi's son, Ruth's husband, had died. And so she released Ruth from any familial duty or obligation. Naomi was planning on returning back to Bethlehem. And, and she knew that she was going back there with no husband, no sons, 
and no prospects. It was going to be a time of trouble for her. And that's what makes Ruth's loyalty to Naomi that much more virtuous. She chose to be with Naomi. Listen to Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also of anything but death parts me from you. Realize that that was spoken. Not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of true friendship. She stuck closer than a daughter-in-law. She was a true friend. Or think of another biblical example. Think of the friendship between David and Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, we read these words. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, friends, I realize that that kind of description of friendship between two men sounds strange to our modern ears. Many would assume that there must be something homoerotic between David and Jonathan. But there's no biblical support for such a claim. That just reveals how much modern society really has no place anymore for true friendship. We've lost the category of filial love between two friends. And now we, we, we are just viewing every single kind of love relationship through the lens of either romantic or erotic love. And I think that's a tragic loss when a society no longer recognizes nor celebrates brotherly love between two friends. And that's what J.R.R. Tolkien, a friend of C.S. Lewis, was so concerned about. When he wrote The Lord of the Rings, he included many heroic figures in his story. They were mighty warriors. They were wise wizards. They were graceful elves and rightful kings. But of all the characters that he created, Tolkien said years later when he was interviewed about it, that his most heroic character was the hobbit Samwise Gamgee. Sam epitomizes the virtues of true friendship. His single-minded loyalty to Frodo is there from the start to the finish. Because at every point in the story, every point that Frodo seeks to go at it alone, Sam refuses to leave his side. He is a living illustration of Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The constancy of Sam's friendship to Frodo and its true worth is clearly on display at the end of their journey when they face their greatest adversity when they're in the heart of Mordor. At the end, Frodo falters, but Sam stays true. If it weren't for Sam's love for Frodo, they would have surely failed in their task and evil would have prevailed. So even though... As we all know, Frodo is the story's main protagonist, but has Tolkien even admitted, Sam is its most heroic figure. He exemplifies the constancy and the commitment that is found in a true friendship. But friends, whether it's Frodo and Sam, Ruth and Naomi, 
or David and Jonathan, all of these literary examples of friendship are really meant to prepare us to encounter the truest friend of all found in the four Gospels. Having a true friend whose loyalty and commitment runs deeper than blood relations is fully realized for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In John chapter 15, verse 13, we read Jesus say this to his disciples. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Jesus, of course, is Lord. Jesus is master. But to those for whom he laid down his own life to pay our debt, to satisfy the justice and wrath of God, to break us free from the power of sin, you have to realize he did that for his friends. If you have trusted in Jesus, he is both your redeemer and your friend. And he's the truest friend you'll ever have. You don't need a whole company of saviors. You just need one. One who sticks closer than a brother. One who will never leave you nor forsake you. One who will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, the takeaway here is really to just give up all of your attempts to curate for yourself a long list of followers and fans and, and Facebook friends. I, I think we care way too much about our social media following when really most of them just turn out to be fair-weathered friends who won't be there for you in times of trouble. Instead, invest all of that time and energy that you would have spent online and first invest that in a relationship with Christ most of all but then as well in your relationships with a few true friends. Ask yourself this question. How can I be a true friend? How can I, in this coming week, demonstrate my commitment, my loyalty to, to a true friend in my life? Can I serve them in some way? Can I show some kind of care for them? Can I help bear a burden in their life? Make it a goal this week to be a true friend to someone. So that's one of the key characteristics of true friendship, commitment. Now let's consider a second one. True friendships are based on some kind of commonality. There's always something that, that binds two or more friends together, some common interest or passion or mission. Now that commonality is what makes a friendship work and, and what makes a friendship so sweet and so pleasing. What you have to understand, though, is that the sweetness of true friendship is not something that you can make or manufacture. It's something that you discover. Listen with me to Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Now, what I want to point out here is how the proverb acknowledges the sweetness of a true friendship. Now, whenever you're, whenever you're studying scripture, 
you have to remember, it's important that we have to do our best to situate ourselves in the historic context of the original author and the audience. And so you have to keep in mind when you're reading this proverb that in ancient times, sweetness was not something that you would manufacture. Sweetness was something you discovered. You couldn't just artificially sweeten your meal. You have to go out there and discover natural foods that are naturally sweet, and then you would add them into your meal. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that, is that the sweetness of a friend, the sweetness of friendship begins with discovery. You don't actually make a friend. You discover a friend. You discover that you are both passionate about the same thing, and that becomes the basis for a budding friendship. Aristotle, he wrote about this. Lewis expanded on this, and, and they all explain that the virtue of friendship lies in the fact that friendship, by its nature, is oriented, oriented away from the self. That friendship, in its essence, is not self-centered. When you're spending time with a true friend, you're actually not thinking about yourself. You're not even thinking about your friendship. Now, lovers, on the other hand, well, they're always thinking about themselves and they're always thinking about their relationship and they're thinking about their feelings for each other. Lovers are always evaluating and defining their relationship. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong or that's bad. That's that's just the nature of romantic love. That's what happens in romantic love. It's, it's oriented towards the relationship and towards the feeling that we have for each other. But Lewis says that though lovers stand face to face, friends um, stand side by side. Lovers are face to face, focused on each other. Friends are side by side, focused on the very thing that brings them together as friends. So a true friendship is oriented around a common interest, a shared passion, a collective goal. According to Lewis, a friendship is born when, quote, at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And whatever that object of interest is, that becomes the basis of friendship. So unlike lovers, friends don't set out to find each other. You don't make a friend by looking for a friend. No, you make friends by pursuing some interest, some passion, some mission in life. And then you start to look around and to see who else shares in that same passion. Who else has that in common? What? You too? I thought I was the only one. What a blessing it is to now have someone with me on the journey, on the path to help along the way. You see, lovers are always asking each other, do you love me? But friends ask each other, do you see the same truth as me? Do you see the same vision of reality? Do you love it as I love it? Now, that commonality, of course, could be something as worldly as a shared fandom for the same sports team, but it could be also something as spiritual as a shared faith in a common Lord and Savior. Regardless of whatever that commonality is, when you discover that someone has a shared love, it makes for a great friendship. 
It becomes the basis of a sweet friendship that can truly enhance your life. That's what we mean when we say that friendship begins with discovery. You don't manufacture friends. You discover them by focusing beyond them to something greater than you, something even greater than the friendship itself. And I think, friends, that's what makes Christian friendship so unique. The commonality that binds you to another Christian can be a number of things. I mean, you might share the same culture. You might have the same upbringing. You might be of the same profession or attend the same school, share the same hobbies. But most fundamentally, you are friends because you share the same faith and you follow the same Lord. A true friend in Christ is someone who is also focused on something greater than the two of you. The two of you are focused on Christ, on following Christ. And now you discover you have the sweet blessing of a friend to help you along the way, to keep you company on the journey of following Jesus. And the sweetness, the sweetest and the most powerful of Christian friendships are the ones that lack any other common bond of affinity between the individuals except for that shared faith in our common Lord. If you've experienced that kind of friendship before, like the kind of friendship where, where the two of you would have never been friends but for your shared love of Jesus, then you know just how sweet and how God-glorifying friendship can truly be. I want all of you to think about the Christian friendships in your life. Have you been investing in them or neglecting them? I want to speak in particular to the teenagers in our church. You're in a stage of life or you're entering into one where you're discovering new friendships that very well could come and go. But some of those friends could last for a lifetime. If you were to ask many of the adults in our church, uh, they would tell you that some of our closest friendships to this very day were forged back in high school or in our days in, in college. And so you are in or you are entering into a very important season of life where you need to choose your friends wisely. The friendships that you establish now could very well shape your future for good or ill. And the point I'm making here is that you don't choose your friends wisely by, by making a list of all the things you want to look for in a good friend. No, you don't start out by pursuing friendship. Proverbs, Proverbs would tell you, you start out by pursuing wisdom. Focus on living a life that fears the Lord, that loves his gospel that submits to his word, that, that seeks to be faithful in all things. Focus on that. Pursue that kind of wise life. And then, then you begin to look around and discover who is on the same path of wisdom with you, focused on the exact same things as you are. That's how you make good Christian friends that could last a lifetime. Now, you know, hear me out here. I, I'm not saying that all of your friends have to be Christians. Actually, that wouldn't be healthy if that were the case, if you didn't have any non-Christian friends. But the point is, is that every believer needs the friendship of a fellow follower of Jesus. 
because these friends are designed for getting you through times of trouble and adversity. Because these friendships are based on something rock solid and unchanging and eternal. They're based on God himself. And so you can count on these friends at all times and in every situation. So commitment and commonality, these are two characteristics of true friendship. Well, here's a third that we find in the book of Proverbs. A true friendship is marked by candor. Candor, being willing to speak the truth in love to each other. A true friend is not going to just flatter you all the time or agree with you all the time. A true friend is going to challenge you at times in order to sharpen you. Listen to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. That's what friends do for each other. We sharpen each other. We make each other better when we're in each other's lives. But you have to think about it. When iron sharpens iron, it creates some friction. Sparks are going to fly. It could get heated. The words of a friend might hurt. But, you know, that's because sometimes the truth hurts. But if the truth is delivered to you in the context of a true friendship, then you have to understand that that might be a wound that is considered a faithful wound. Listen to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So it's enemies who are the ones who, who just merely flatter you because really they're just trying to get something out of you. A faithful friend might speak a word that wounds you, but ironically, that wound is designed to heal you. In other words, their words might hurt you, but they're not meant to harm you. And there is a difference. If you can't tell the difference that not all words that hurt are intended to harm, well, then you're going to be stuck in a very sad state. If, if you interpret everything that hurts you as something meant to harm you, you're never going to grow. You'll continue severing friendships with those people who, who only want to faithfully wound you for your good. And you're just going to surround yourself with those who kiss and, and flatter you with sweet nothings. And sure, your feelings are going to be safe and intact, but you'll be stunted in your spiritual growth and you'll be lonelier than you ever imagined. You know, I have a longtime friend who can be so blunt sometimes. Uh, I feel like he has very little tact, but he does have a lot of wisdom. And I also know that he loves me as a true friend. And so even though at times I do get annoyed at his responses and I wish he kept his opinion to himself, but usually, when I look back at what he said and I reconsider his words, I can recognize the truth in what he said and, and why he said it to me. It's a wound that hurts, but it's also a faithful wound that heals. And so do you have friends like that in your life? Is there a true friend in your life who is willing to give you a faithful wound? If not... If you haven't found a friend like that, 
if you're still looking for someone to play that role in your life, but so far no one has been wise enough or godly enough or faithful enough, then maybe could it be that the problem is you? Could it be that you haven't allowed anyone to get close enough to say anything to you that might wound you and you're doing it out of fear? Fear that they'll find out that you're a fraud. Fear that they'll discover something about you that they don't like and end up rejecting you. I, I understand why you're afraid to let people in. I understand why you're hesitant to let them sharpen you and faithfully wound you. But that's, that's when you've got to look to Jesus, our truest friend. See how Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows every shameful secret, every humiliating failure, every moral flaw, and yet he chooses to love you still. It's not his duty. He's not under any obligation. And yet, out of the freeness of his grace, Jesus calls you friend. He loves you with that greater love that lays down his life for a friend. If you believe this, if you, with ever-increasing assurance, know that he was pierced for your transgressions, crushed for your iniquities, that upon him the chastisement that brought you peace, and that by his wounds, by his wounds, you have been healed. That's when you can finally handle the faithful wounds of any other friend. That's how the love and acceptance of Christ Jesus really changes you. If your truest friend, who not only knows you the best, but also knows the worst about you, if he can still love you and stick closer to you than a brother, then you can handle the deepest wound of any other friend. And you're going to start to see how the words that those friends speak to you are actually intended not to harm you, but to heal you and to grow you. So friends, I ask you, what change is, there, is needed in your life? Do you need to be a truer friend? Is there someone that you really care about, but you've been too afraid to, to wound with the truth? Maybe you need to give someone a faithful wound this week. If so, you're going to need a lot of prayer and maybe some wise counsel before you do that. Or perhaps, perhaps for you, you need to step out in faith and invite a true friend to speak God's truth in love into your life and to wound you if necessary. You also need a lot of prayer, asking for humility to receive God's truth, even if it hurts. Whatever you do, do so knowing that in Christ, you have the love and the acceptance of your truest friend. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love that you have displayed to us in the person and work of Christ Jesus, our Redeemer and our friend. Through that love, may we become truer friends to each other. May our friendships give you glory and add sweetness to our lives. We pray this 
In Jesus' name, amen.